Recently, I've been getting roses at the door. The ones I get are hardly faded before I get some more. Note attached, addressed to me, is always just the same. It just says, I love you and thanks for everything. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. I keep one petal from each bunch in my dresser drawer. I count the petals every day, thinking what they're for. It might have been a one-time thing, the chance will never come again. But then there's maybe and perhaps and possibly and when. Don't get your hopes up, I say when I'm alone. Don't get your hopes up. It is written in stone. In winter, it gets colder. The kids are gone all day. Then there's piano lessons and the PTA. In summer, it gets warmer with picnics on the beach. But there's a little part of my heart now that always will be out of reach. Don't, Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Thank you, they always get here when he's not around. I hide the paper and pretend that I got them in town. He says it must cost a fortune for what I spend on them. I say I've got to have them for the mood I'm in. But don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. He pretends he doesn't know. Maybe he doesn't care. He just knows that in the mood I'm in, there are roses everywhere. I know that it will stop one day and that will break my heart. I just have to remind myself that we are worlds apart. Don't get your hopes up, I say when I'm alone. Don't get your hopes up, it is written in stone. In winter, it gets colder, the kids are gone all day. Then there's piano lessons and the PTA. In summer, it gets warmer with picnics on the beach. There's a little part of my heart now that always will be out of reach. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. I'm not sorry at all. I don't think that it was bad. It was an accident of friendship, which is all we ever had. It was like a stormy night, but strangely all the stars were out. And when we finally touched, I thought, this is what friendship's all about. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Now it's a secret locked inside me, in a place so deep and far. Sometimes I'd like to tell it, but you know how people are. I guess there's not much more to say, except you're still my friend. I'm looking at the roses, hoping one day the chance will come again. Don't get your hopes up, I say when I'm alone. Don't get your hopes up, it is written stone. In winter, it gets colder, the kids are gone all day. Then there's piano lessons and the PTA. In summer, it gets warmer with picnics on the beach. There's a little part of my heart now that always will be out of reach. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up.
Welcome to the podcast, Escape from Society, number 18, discussing the month of March 2014. What you just listened to is a song I recorded at home by Robert Ashley. I recorded it in his memory as Robert Ashley passed away at the beginning of the month. She makes a double life. And I wanted to... uh, send him on to the next world with a little tribute because in particular his opera Dust, but also episodes of Perfect Lives and other compositions of his have been among uh, you could say my favorites or you could also say pieces that have had the greatest effect on me. I find that the Dust is set up where there are five extended narration pieces. And then there are four of these pop songs. So that's one of the songs, Don't Get Your Hopes Up. And everything from the songs to the longer narrative pieces, I, I just learned. I learned about life from those. I like Ashley's writing a lot. I got to see not the original production of Dust, but the original cast producing Dust a few years ago at La Mama. And that was a great experience. I'm very glad I did. My mind studies my breath. Six. My mind sees every aspect of the beauty of my breath. Seven. My mind watches my breath soothing itself. Eight. My mind sees every part of my breath. Nine. My breath is not indifferent to itself. Ten. I played roulette with David First's band, The Western Anisphere, maybe a day after Bob Ashley died. David made mention of him from the stage and dedicated the performance to him. So I've made a couple of artistic dedications to Robert Ashley. We were all in his debt. For her, piano playing is the only mystery. So the show at Roulette with the Western Anisphere was a rousing success. We were paired with the Ashcan Orchestra, and David broke down the Anisphere into its component parts of drones and instruments, and the regular lineup of the ensemble is guitar with ebo, bass trombone, viola, bongos, with a little bit of suspended cymbal and shaker, and computer drones. And not only did we play our set length complete piece for that instrumentation, we also played drones plus drums, drones plus baritone saxophone, drones plus transistor radios, viola, and bass trombone. 
And that little trio piece, which I participated in, is something that involved a little bit more improvisation than most of the other Western Hemisphere pieces. It kind of came about when we had a trio rehearsal, and David said, well, let's, let's improvise a little bit and find some stuff. And then the improvising turned out to be the stuff. We didn't need to reach farther into it than than just playing which is sometimes the case and to discuss the old composed versus improvised music i love both composed and improvised music and both of them frustrate me deeply at times when i i often get more frustrated when I'm hearing a piece of composed music that could be improvised. And when I say that, I mean the piece doesn't utilize any of the things about composition that make composition distinct from improvisation and better in those ways. There are structural, organizational things about composition, and there are certain passages that are so complex as to be unimprovisable. These are the real strengths of composition. Sometimes a composed piece comes across as not having any interesting structural elements or any aspect about it that couldn't just be improvised by a skilled improviser drives me nuts. There's also improvisation that drives me nuts because it's careless or it's just not my style. People have their own individual tastes. I'll get back to discussing roulette a little bit later in the podcast, but it's a reverberant hall with excellent sound and very good amplification possibilities. You know, they have a lot of great equipment there and knowledgeable sound people. So it was a good opportunity for the band to sound its best, which is always important. I wasn't completely happy with the sound on stage with these drones. I try to walk a really fine line between not being able to hear myself very individually it's it's tough i need to be able to hear myself so i know what i'm playing but i also don't want to hear only myself because i really in this band more than any other that i play in have to be listening to the composite sound and the blend of everyone so it's a tricky band to get a monitor mix for I don't want too much viola, and I don't want too much trombone, but we're the ones who do a lot of stuff together, so I need to be able to hear Jean-Anne, I need to be able to hear myself, but I'd rather just have the whole thing kind of blaring and just rely on my own self-awareness and intuition to tell me when I'm playing in tune and when I'm playing out of tune in the right way because the intonation thing that's sort of how the band is based. Uh, but happy to play at Roulette anytime and indeed I played there twice this month and we'll get back to it in a few minutes. That number is the answer in the way that numbers answer. That simple notion, a coincidence among coincidences, is all one needs to know. My mind turns to my breath. My mind watches my breath. My mind turns and watches my breath. My mind turns and faces my breath. My mind faces my breath. My mind studies my breath. 
My mind sees every aspect of the beauty of my breath. My mind watches my breath soothing itself. My mind sees every part of my breath. My breath is not indifferent to itself. She waked at 10. Those of you who listened to last month's podcast heard about the indoor busking gig that got canceled due to the weather. The great ironic gig cancellation. Well, it got rescheduled. So Tin Pan played at the New Museum on March 13th, I think it was. There is a captivating installation there by a Polish artist who I would say is a really awesome sculptor. I dug his sculpture very much. And for some reason, he wanted performers in the lobby, street performers performing in the lobby, with microphones piping in the sound to their uh, to the floor that has the installation on it. And having been through the installation, I can't say that that was a particularly effective aspect of it for me while I was up there viewing it and there was a cellist playing downstairs. But anyways, Tin Pan came down. Thursdays is when the museum is free in the evening. So it got really crowded while we were playing. Nobody paid us really any attention or gave us any money, making it in one way, well, maybe in more than one way, like a street performance. But Tin Pan is based on street performing in Central Park and does that professionally. I know what to expect as far as CD sales and tips, and we were way below that and oddly the museum paid dirt for the show i think that was also part of the installation part of the artist's desires is that the fee would be so nominal as to be laughed at i mean we actually laughed when jesse told us that the band was getting paid i think 15 dollars but we played like three sets and Jesse uh, made sure we all went home with a respectable sum. I think he may have, in fact, gone into the band fund to see to that. And it was not an unpleasant gig, but it was a little bit of a little bit of a "Why am I here?" gig. Loved the art. Did not know why I was a part of the art. They do it as often as they can in summer. They come to talk. They pass the time. So, on to Purim, the Jewish festival of something or other. I'm not sure exactly what, but I've played at Purim parties through the years and always had a great time. I was in a salsa band in college and we used to play at Purim parties, uh, which were so fun. <laughs> I'm just remembering the time uh, that my friend Mappa, his brother, his high school age brother was visiting and my high school age sister was visiting, both at the time of the Purim party. And Mappa was up on stage with me. We were, I mean, we were playing in this band together and we lost track of our siblings and either he leaned over and said to me or our friend Natasha came over and said where's Mappa's brother and your sister (laughs) Um, they may have been off talking somewhere but they weren't doing anything illicit that's just a funny memory that I just had anyways this um This particular Purim party was at a venue called Littlefield, which is down in the Park Slope, Gowanus area. Kind of weird venue. It's trying for something, and I don't know if it's succeeding. 
And it was kind of a dead night. The Sway Machine replayed, and they played after us. They were headlining, and they were really awesome. But there weren't a lot of people there for our set. Some of them were in costume, and we just played the most lackluster set. This is Mitro Sumara, I think I mentioned. Um, don't know what it was. There seemed to be agreement around the band after the set that uh, it was a lousy one. I mean, there were some mistakes. Uh, it was also just the vibe was wrong. It was just a one to forget. And bands have gigs like that, just like baseball teams have games they'd like to forget. So that's one to forget. We'll also get back to Mitra Samara later, and we uh, we turned it around for no ruse. So those two gigs at Roulette were sort of the anchors of the month. They were the things that had been on the calendar the farthest in advance that I had been looking forward to, and they came off great. And the end of the month wound up kind of filling up, but before I get to that, let me just play you another uh, home recording. I got to see Tanarawen for probably the, like, eighth time. I've seen them a lot, more or less every time they've come to New York since 2005. Amazing band from the Sahara Desert, uh, Mali. Like, I don't know, best band in the world? I What can I say? I, I love Tanarwin. They played at Brooklyn Bowl, and I got to see them, and um, made a home recording of a folk song called Katie Cruel that just... I, I don't know why I fixated on that song on this one particular day, and then it, when I started recording it, I was like, oh yeah, this could be kind of a Tanarawen jam. So a little Tanarawen jam. I want to include, you know, original recordings, uh, kind of demo recordings on these podcasts. Uh, it's a good outlet for that. So here's a few minutes of uh, music for you to listen to. Thank you. 
the town They bought me drinks aplenty Now they've changed their minds And they hand me the bottles empty If I was where I would be Then I'd be who I am not Here I am where I must be Well, the Sea Shanty Band played. I don't think you've heard about the Sea Shanty Band. This is uh, led by Jordan Shapiro, man of many talents. Plays bluegrass guitar, jazz piano, Sea Shanty accordion, bluegrass accordion. He'll, no, he'll, he'll play anything. He sings and leads this band. He plays accordion, and it's called Shapiro's Shanty Shakedown. Accordion, banjo, drums and Brass Quartet is the instrumentation. Some of the songs have arrangements. Some of them are just chord charts with lyrics and go. It's kind of thing. It's a little bit of a Dixieland style of horn playing. I really enjoy doing it. Some of these songs are really great. That gig was at Bar Chord in Dittmas Park. We played late into the evening, and our friend Kamala was there. She teaches at Manhattan College, and Manhattan College was in the NCAA men's basketball tournament, and they were playing, so she was with her roommate who also teaches there, or friend who also teaches there. Uh, They were there to watch the game. She said she even had a basketball student in her class a few years ago. Um, They lost. All right, back to roulette. So let's talk about roulette a little bit. Jim Staley is a trombonist, one of the trombonists in New York that I really like. He doesn't have any signature recordings that I'm aware of, but he plays often enough that I've gotten to see him over the years, often with some of the other downtown improvising suspects the Zorn kind of crowd Ikue Mori and Jim have something they've been doing for a long time and he's he's great on the horn he's really great trombone player and fine improviser too so that's Jim he lives in Soho and in 1978 he started producing a concert series that he called Roulette in his loft. He lives on the second floor, nice, big, beautiful loft. He still does some of the roulette business out of there, at the very least hosts the Christmas party. Meredith Monk lives above him. 
And this concert series, he just kept at it. And there's so many great musicians have played there over the years. And he got involved with producing a TV series out of it and making recordings of the shows, high quality recordings of every concert and getting funding so that he's able to commission new pieces and blah blah I mean Jim has really taken the idea of a a humble concert series at one's home and turned it into what is now a million dollar operation at least um after spending most of a decade producing concerts at an art gallery in Soho after the series left Jim's apartment the organization located a more permanent space. They signed a 20-year lease in Brooklyn, downtown, at the uh, YWCA, a big proscenium theater with a balcony seating for hundreds. And they did, you know, they did a year's worth of work renovating it, building a recording studio with a half-million-dollar grant that they got to build the recording studio. and So Roulette has been just charging forwards instead of shrinking in the changing musical landscape and economy and everything. It has only grown, which is inspiring to see. I've known about Roulette since I was in college. In fact, Peter Zumo, the trombonist in Mitra Sumara runs an internship program for college students called the New York Arts Program. And uh, he visits different campuses during the year and sets up artistic internships. And he has found many an intern for Jim Staley at Roulette on the Oberlin campus throughout the years. So uh, classmates of mine, Matt Malin, Mario Diaz de Leon, John Leland, they all interned at Roulette while we were still in college. And Matt started working there after we moved to New York and has continued to work there till this day and has really made himself invaluable doing a lot of the behind the scenes work and occasionally doing some of the in front of the scenes work. Matt is the leader of the band Skeletons, as you know, and um, there's usually a time in the year or a couple of times in the year where he'll be given a few days to use the space as he sees fit to either record like we did last summer or have a little three-day festival as he's done a number of times, either just for skeletons or for new pieces from the general community. And so the new skeletons material that Matt has written, thanks to one of these foundation grants via roulette, I think via roulette, um, there's a whole bunch of new skeletons material. And Matt and Jason, his primary co-conspirator in skeletons, who also now works at Roulette, organized an extravagant skeletons concert for Roulette with the semi-big band. We had three horns, a violin, a piano, double bass. No, we didn't use the double bass, just electric bass. Drums, guitar, keyboards. Um, We dug back to a few songs from the Skeletons catalog, but mainly played new stuff from the forthcoming album. Jason played a solo guitar set to open, and Greg Fox played a solo drum set to open. And if if the band, if the nine-piece band, or even ten-piece, if we were able to add another percussionist, if we were able to go forward and, and tour, I think the way to do it would be draw straws before every show and he who gets the short straw 
go plays an opening set solo because everybody can pull it off and the spontaneity would be so fun and awesome. Difficult to envision that tour ever happening, but my fingers are crossed. It's a lot of fun to play this stuff. We played a long set at Roulette that night. Very well received, very fun to play. So like I said, the last weekend of the month uh, filled up with gigs. And on the Friday night, I played at Jalopy. And Jalopy is a wonderful theater down by the uh, Brooklyn entrance of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, which I'll have you know, Robert Moses wanted to be a bridge. He so loved bridges when he was designing you know, all these public works in Manhattan, or New York at large. Um, he wanted this one to be a bridge, which everybody thought he was crazy, and he would have to destroy Castle Clinton in Lower Manhattan to do that. And But no one was powerful enough to stop him, and so he was going ahead with these bridge plans against everybody, everyone's wishes. And it turns out that the only guy who could intervene was the president of the United States, FDR, who was a bitter rival of Moses from the 1920s or something, you know, old school New York state politics that they had been involved in when they were younger and they hated each other. And FDR was able to stop the construction of this bridge by um, invoking the War Powers Act. It was during World War II or the run-up to World War II and the Brooklyn Navy Yard is upstream of the battery. And so he said, if there's a bridge there, it'll be a target for U-boats, and it's a liability, and it's dangerous, and so we can't have a bridge there. And he was able to get in Moses' way, but not before Moses had destroyed the beloved New York City Aquarium, which used to be in the battery next to um, Castle Clinton and he shuttered it and it never reopened. I mean, it opened later in Coney Island, but uh, it never became as popular again. Little uh, diversion there from our musical program to tell an anecdote that I, I like that I remember from uh, Robert Caro's book, The Power Broker. Okay, so Jalopy is near the entrance on the Brooklyn side to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I like Jalopy a lot. They run this music school out of there, so people are coming in and learning and learning songs from each other and playing and drinking and having a good time. Jalopy's great. So I was playing there with Jesse Caroline and the Hot Mess, and we were trading sets with Emily Asher's Garden Party which was a band I had not seen before, even though I knew a couple of the guys in it. Um, Tom Abbott was playing clarinet, and he and I uh, know each other from The Drunkard's Wife. And Sean Cronin was playing bass, and Sean I know from Tin Pan. And Emily Asher, who leads the band on trombone and singing, was someone I had never met before. Uh, it was great to meet her. And it was also interesting to see that we have the same mouthpiece. I went to... Portland at the end of last year, and that's where the trumpet maker Monette is. They're, um, you could call it a factory shop, their workshop. They make about five trumpets a month, um, and th those are the only instruments they make, but they also make um, trombone and tuba and French horn mouthpieces, and I played the mouthpieces while I was there and there was one that was really fabulous so I got it uh, I had to order it they had to make it on the lathe and the blah 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 it's a beautiful mouthpiece of I got it probably in February it arrived and so sure enough Emily had a Monet mouthpiece and Satoru the trumpet player in the hot mess had a Monet mouthpiece 
And the trumpet player in the garden party was like, what is up with you guys and Monette mouthpieces, man? I threw mine in the ocean two years ago because I just hated it. And Monette is this funny company, extremely revered by its followers. They are devoted to the nth degree to Monette. And in fact, a bunch of the people who work there, if not all of the people who work in the shop, I was told are former customers who just got involved and loved the company and came and learned the trade of instrument making, which they break up into its component parts. So you don't need to be a master craftsman to make these little valve casings. If that's the only thing you know how to do, then you make the valve casings and you can learn it and then you're that guy and you do it. Uh, but people love Monette and let me play you a little bit or I'll play you the whole thing because it's short. Mark Gould, a uh, former principal trumpet player in the Metropolitan or Opera Orchestra. He's an irreverent and hilarious guy and here's this little video he made. He's sitting in an armchair next to a Monette trumpet. The most beautiful sound I've ever heard is the sound of an atomic bomb exploding. Second, I wonder too many people fucking. Third, <laughs> and there he makes the eyes at the Monet trumpet. Oh yeah. Anyways, it was just weird that three out of four. Um, brass players on this show were playing Monette mouthpieces, which are not common and certainly not in the jazz world, as far as I know. I probably would have never noticed if I didn't have the mouthpiece myself, though. So maybe everybody out there has them, and I just had no idea until I got one. And here I am plugging their company, basically. So uh, the two bands got together and jammed at the end. It was really fun to play with Emily and play like with another trombonist, which almost never happens. Playing little background figures and watching our slides move together in unison. What a party. We, the tune we jammed on was West End Blues, which has this famous Louis Armstrong trumpet cadenza at the beginning. And Bjorn and Satoru, the trumpet players, played it together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the first time, just kind of, you know, they both know it, and they so they played it together, which sounded hilarious because it's um, this the cadenza itself is not in time, so they were just faking it on the time, trying to do it together, but it sounded like the whole thing was run through a delay pedal. It was really awesome sounding, taking a, a you know really iconic solo and then making it sound weird. But I just loved it. That was great. And then we came to the next day, the day of three gigs. I try to avoid days like this. I don't even like to have two gigs in a day. It just, unless unless they're spread out, you know, in time and once in the afternoon or something, it's, that's, that's fine. It's not really from a chop standpoint. It's more from a logistical and stressful standpoint. And this day was, one of those days that just was going to have to be stressful. There was an easy gig to start out at Trinity Church, uh, where I've done a few things. Just jazz trio playing for a little function, piano, trombone, and bass. Didn't have to rehearse. We each just brought a couple of tunes that we wanted to play, called them out. It was very easy. The people there are nice. We got fed. Good fun. Got paid well that kind of thing. And it was early. Then I ran over to Freddy's Bar and Back Room, 
where Big Five chord was playing. And like we, like we did in January, it was the regular Big Five chord plus me and Justin Wood. So seven-piece band, we were playing through, this was a warm-up gig because we had studio time booked to make a record the following day. So I didn't want to, even though this was a casual gig at Freddie's back room where indeed only a couple of people showed up, it was raining on top of everything else. Um, it was good that we got together and did this because we weren't able to ever rehearse. So this sort of was the rehearsal for the recording session. And we got to get a little bit more comfortable with the music, which we had only played through once back in January. And some of it had changed a little bit. So that was a good warm-up gig experience. But that was the really stressful part of it for me because I knew we were going to have to start right at 8 o'clock so that I could leave right at 8.35 or something. I, I really left more like 8.40 and just hauled back to the East Village to get to drum in order to play with Mitra Sumara uh, because it was Noru's, the Persian New Year, and playing Persian popular music as we do. Can't let a Noru's go by without playing a good uh Noru's gig and this was a great one it was packed with people who knew the music and wanted to dance and sing along which is perfect I got there just in time to get up on stage I was soaking wet but that's all right we learned a couple of new tunes for the gig we did the new tunes they were fine that gig we had done a couple weeks earlier that sucked you know let it go and be in the moment and this one was fine it was a really fun time my uncle was in town and I was glad he was able to come and I could share it with him and even though I was soaking wet and dripping all over the stage I managed to not get me or Jim the keyboard player electrocuted so really win-win you know what, what else can you say about that? Uh, that's it. That's the month. I'll be back to tell you about April later on. Send you out with a little music here.